Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Ryan Kennedy. And today I am hosting an interview on behalf of a nonprofit I do some work with called the Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation. I encourage you to check out the foundation at ppnf.org as they have some excellent educational material, courses, and quarterly journals that provide amazing information on natural health. All right, now on to today's episode. My guest today is James Nestor, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Breath, which explores the million-year-long history of how the human species lost the ability to breathe properly and how poor breathing mechanics is at the root cause of so many health issues today. So on today's episode, we're going to be diving into what you can do to really restore proper breathing mechanics. So James, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. So James, since we all breathe without much thought, what inspired you to write an entire book on the subject? Hmm. I never set out to write a book about breathing. Uh, that seems like a pretty silly thing to do. There's already so many books about how to breathe correctly anyways. So it wasn't until several years of personal experiences, professional experiences of seeing some things that just didn't make sense to me scientifically, medically, uh, that I realized maybe there was a larger story to be told about this seemingly mundane and simple thing as our breathing. And, and why do you consider breathing to be a lost art? I consider it to be a lost art because our ancestors studied breathing, they respected breathing, they understood that how we breathed could be used as a medicine. This was a very powerful tool in healing the body. It was also very powerful to be used in spiritual practices to attain altered states of consciousness, on and on. And it doesn't matter what culture you took, if you're talking about the Greeks or if you're talking about the ancient Chinese or ancient Hindus or Native Americans, they all understood and appreciated breathing as something as significant to our health and well-being as what we ate or how much we exercised. Your book really brings that uh, to light in, in our modern day. Uh, where along the lines did that get lost in translation between our ancestors that understood the profound impact breathing had and these different breathwork practices to, you know, where we are today, where most people don't think much about it. And when you say the word breathwork, they don't, you know, oftentimes even have much association with it. I think the further we have moved away from nature, the sicker we've gotten. This isn't my hypothesis. It's not a theory. It's a fact. If you look at the hunter-gatherer tribes that are still around today, they don't suffer from hypertension or heart disease or diabetes or asthma or allergies or all of the chronic diseases that we suffer from. And the more you take the human body and try to adapt it into, into industrialization, the sicker it's going to get. And we have gotten so sick because we aren't moving the way we used to, we aren't eating the way we used to, and we aren't breathing the way we used to. And a lot of people realize that eating and exercising are essential to health, but that breathing component has not really been 
appreciated as much as it should be. And if you look at what's happened to humans in just the past 300, 400 years, the quality of the air we've been breathing, our inability to even take a deep breath of air because of the clothes we're wearing and the way that we're sitting in our walking posture, in our oral posture, in our sleeping posture. And then what's happened to our faces, you, you realize that we are struggling to, to breathe. And this is something that we do 20,000, 25,000 times a day. Would you talk about some of the causes of, uh, and also health effects, just kind of diving further into uh, this over mouth breathing that many of us do? Sure. So a lot of people think air is air, right? The air mm -hmm. you take through your nose is going to be the same air that you take through your mouth, but that is false. So these two things, the air that enters your lungs through these different channels is completely different. So our noses are our first line of defense. They help filter out pathogens, bacteria, dust, allergens, pollution, and more. That's why it takes a little while longer to breathe through your nose than it does to breathe through your mouth. So that extra time is good because that extra time means that that air is being shuttled through all of these different structures. It's almost like a labyrinth that air has to push through. And as it's going through this labyrinth of different cartilage and bones and tissues, it's being cleansed and it's being heated and it's being moistened and conditioned. So that by the time that air reaches your lungs, we can get about 20% more oxygen than we could equivalent breaths through the mouth. If you don't think that's gonna make a huge difference throughout the day or throughout the weeks or throughout the months or years that you're breathing, you're, you're crazy. Uh, it makes an enormous difference to our immune system, to our mental health, to our athletic ability and more. One of the things that many people find counterintuitive that your work highlights is this concept that most people are over-breathing and that it's actually by breathing less and slowing the respiration rate that we get this massive benefit of increasing oxygenation. Can you talk a little bit about that? When we breathe through the mouth, there's no resistance. <sighs> I just took a breath, right? I'm going to take that same breath through my nose. <sighs> There's so much more resistance through the nose and the air is forced to slow down and become much more pressurized. So in that process of pressurizing that air, you can allow the lungs to absorb so much more oxygen. And breathing through the mouth is something that 25 to 50% of the population habitually does now. This is really where a lot of the work of Western Price fits in because as our mouths deteriorated, as our cavities increased, as we switched to an industrial diet, our faces changed. That's why our teeth are crooked because our mouths grew so small that they couldn't accommodate all their teeth. So that, it sounds like, well, wouldn't it be harder to breathe through the mouth if, if that were the case? And no, the, the reason is it's because that upper palate of the mouth pushes into the sinuses and makes it harder to breathe through the nose. So we become obligate nasal breathers or sorry, mouth breathers, because that's the only way we can easily get air 
in and out of our bodies. You mentioned that diet has played a role in this problem of, you know, narrowing uh, or having issues with our, our uh, mouths getting smaller and our teeth. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Diet is, is the main driver behind this. And I had heard of Weston Price's work years and years and years ago. And I was very convinced by it. I mean, who, who couldn't be? All you have to do is look at the pictures uh, in, in his work and then look in the mirror and, and you see what a difference, how far we've, we've gone. But what was interesting when I really started digging in deeper specifically to mouth size and facial change, it actually has less to do with vitamins and minerals. Yes, those play a part, vitamin K2, activator X, D, like all of these things play a part, but the main driver is eating food that is extremely soft. The main driver is lack of chewing. And that is one thing that I think Weston Price, had he been around for a little longer, would have seen and would have documented. His work with vitamins, minerals is extraordinary, but that chewing part of this puzzle, I think was a little blind spot in his research. Now for people in our modern world who may not you know, get down on some of these much harder to chew foods, would chewing gum uh, provide a lot of these benefits to our mouth structure and our, you know, kind of some of these issues that we've come across that you're describing? It really depends on who you are. And what I mean by that is so many, such a huge percentage of the population suffers from temporomandibular joint issues. And what that is, is when the bone that connects the lower jaw to the skull, when that gets out of alignment, it can cause tension in that joint. If you open your mouth right in front of your ear, you can feel that joint. So for people who have TMJ issues, chewing gum more and chewing more can actually exacerbate these issues and make them worse. For people who don't, then chewing gum appears to have very beneficial effects. Obviously, you're not going to want to chew gum with sugar in it, and you're going to want to chew hard gum. Uh, nothing is better than chewing actual food, by the way. Uh, carrots, celery, if you're into eating meat, chewing really tough meat, that's fantastic because the process of chewing not only helps the mouth grow wider when we're in early stages of development, but it actually tones the airway later on in life and when we're younger. Also helps drain sinuses, drains fluid from the eustachian tubes, and pulls more blood into the brain. So we're so divorced from chewing nowadays. And if you don't believe me, just look at the modern diet and think about what you've eaten in the last few days and how much of that food you've actually had to chew. For the Western Price Pottinger audience, you know, these people are probably eating tougher foods than the rest of the population. But the typical American diet, we hardly chew at all anymore. And What's, what I find clinically in my practice working with people is that people just don't 
find they don't understand the importance of chewing as the first stage of digestion. And when you're not chewing your food properly and adequately, it puts so much more burden on your gut to break down what your salivary enzymes and mastication should have done, you know, in the mouth. And so I find that once I kind of help people realize this and they start chewing their food much more thoroughly, they get a lot of relief <clears throat> in terms of digestive issues like gas and bloating. Uh, and, and so that's a big takeaway for people is even if you're not eating really hard foods, even if you're just eating, you know, salad or whatever it might be, the importance of really chewing thoroughly is massively helpful for their, you know, for your gut health and absorbing the nutrients and having a properly functioning digestive system. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, chewing and digestion is part of a parasympathetic response. That's why we salivate. And if you see people when they're eating food now in an airport or whatever, it's a couple of chews and it's gone and they're stressed yep. out the whole time, which is going to make it so much harder for them to digest that food. It's going to require more energy and it, it can make them much more apt to have gastrointestinal problems. And, you know, just as you mentioned, this isn't a hypothesis or a theory. This is basic physiology. And it seems so ridiculous that we are so removed from nature that we now have to be retaught not only how to breathe, but how to chew. <laughs> but it's true. You know, uh, a lot of people never have thought about their chewing. They've never thought about their breathing, much to their detriment. On the role of dentistry, uh, can, can that really help improve our breathing? You mentioned some of the issues with TMJ. Is that something that, you know, dentistry can help with, or is that more of a structural issue you need to see a chiropractor for? I mean, what can someone do to help resolve some of that if they are having issues with their jaw alignment? Dentistry can help an enormous amount. It depends what kind of dentistry you're, you're getting. And this is an extremely controversial area right now. I had no idea that there was controversy in, in the dental community until I started digging in to these different subjects and realized that there is this huge wave, there is this huge sea change that's occurring right now in dentistry. And I'll, I'll sort of paint a picture here and we'll keep my personal opinions out of it as, a, as every reporter should, but just imagine that you have a mouth that's too small for your face. It's so small that your teeth are growing and crooked, right? What is going to happen when you remove teeth from that mouth and you crane the remaining teeth closer together and use headgear to push those teeth back into the mouth even further? You are going to have a smaller mouth than you began with. How does that affect the airway? How does that affect the TMJ? How does that affect the facial profile? There are many dentists, I would say my estimate is about maybe 40% of dentists today that are saying one of the main reasons why many of us are suffering from breathing disorders could be tied to braces and headgear and extractions early in life that has actually changed the face of our shapes and changed the face of our mouths. So I thought it was so fascinating that 100 years ago, the standard practice for straightening teeth was by expanding the mouth. If a mouth is too small, it makes sense to expand it to make room for those teeth to naturally grow and straight. 
Well, expansion is coming back into dentistry right now as these things tend to do. We forget about them and then we remember them. And I'm mentioning all of this because when you expand a mouth, you also expand an airway. When you expand an airway, you make it easier to breathe. That's why people who have had these expansion procedures done, people who have had severe sleep apnea, who have had severe allergies, severe chronic sinusitis, they no longer have any of these issues because there's room in the back of their mouths and in their noses to, to breathe more clearly. I'm not saying expansion is gonna work for everyone all the time, but other procedures that can be done in the nose can have an equally beneficial effect too. It just depends on where your problem is. Have you seen any uh, evidence of a connection between vitamin D levels and sun exposure and these breathing mechanical problems like sleep apnea? It's a good question. I don't know. I have not seen that directly. Uh, if you look at something like sleep apnea, it is a structural problem. At least that's how it's been understood. Mm -hmm. So that structural problem can occur even in the nasal pharynx. It can uh, in involve the tongue being too big and falling in the back of the throat. It can sometimes be involved in the hypopharynx. So it really, we, we have obstruction throughout the airway. So it depends on what the problem is. I also heard from many breathing therapists that sleep apnea can be reduced or sometimes outright cured by training someone to breathe better in the daytime. You breathe more softly, more fluidly in the daytime, you carry that into the night, which makes you less apt to be choking on yourself because you're, you're relaxed. So vitamin D specifically, I don't know. Uh, you could look at vitamin D levels and rickets, you know, how the, the bones will be forming. Uh, with, without proper amounts of vitamin D, they will be very spongy and, and loose. And I'm sure that there is a connection between facial shape and jaw size and vitamin D deficiencies. I just don't know what exactly that is. And I'm sure there's been no randomized controlled <laughs> studies of, of, of specifically how lack of vitamin D would affect the mouth and the airway. Uh, I think that would be considered unethical, but it, it is interesting. I'll, I'll just add in one, one other thing here that I went down this deep rabbit hole of trying to figure out who the first people were to notice that the mouths were growing too small. And they started noticing that right when they were starting to really look into rickets and the causes of rickets. And that's actually how the Royal Society formed, uh, trying to find the causes of rickets and a possible cure. Fascinating. Yeah, I asked because I interviewed a holistic dentist uh, named Dr. Joel Gould, who works specifically, who specializes in sleep apnea. And he's just seen a lot of clinical observations of uh, a strong correlation, um, nothing, you know, no double blind, you know, research, but just in his own practice working with patients, he's seen there be a remarkable improvement when you, and I'm sure some of it could be tied to other variables, of course, but I just thought I'd ask if you had any insights on that uh, connection. Yeah, I was thinking strictly in terms of bones, but if this is someone who's seen great improvements in adults in maybe a matter of months, then it probably has to do with inflammation, right? Yeah. Uh, and inflammation in the airway and toning the airway. And, and that's what 
a big problem eating inflammatory foods and having constant exposure to allergens and dust and smog is it inflames your airways and it inflames your lungs and it makes it harder to breathe. We know that when allergy season comes around in springtime, sleep apnea incidences go through the roof. So there is a direct connection between inflammation in the airway and, and sleep apnea. So that's fascinating stuff. I look forward to digging into it a little more. On that topic, with the exception, obviously, in that scenario, if you're being exposed to an allergen or to a pollu some pollution in our, in our environments, in the air you're breathing that's causing that inflammation, the obvious solution is to eliminate that exposure. But in a, a scenario where you really can't, let's say, you know, a lot of people listening to this suffer from seasonal allergies, uh, have you found any good uh, tools or tactics to mitigate some of that? Absolutely. Breathe through your nose, breathe through your nose all the time, as often as you can. That doesn't mean you can't breathe through your mouth on occasion when you're laughing, you breathe through your mouth, when you sigh, you breathe through your mouth. Who cares? That's perfectly fine. For the vast majority of your breaths and for all of your breaths at night, breathe through your nose. Easier said than done for a lot of people, because a lot of people are suffering from chronic congestion. What, 15% suffers from Chronic sinusitis, about 50% suffers from inflamed turbinates. I mean, this goes on and on. But the more we breathe through our noses, the more our noses adapt and start to open up. And what I have seen personally, and this is just anecdotal, is that people can adopt healthy breathing habits during the day. And then when they go to sleep at night, they breathe through their mouths. So about 60% of the population breathes through their mouth at night. This is such bad news. So you have to find a way of breathing through your nose at night. I know it seems wacky, but I found a little piece of tape on my mouth does a tremendous, it is the number one hack that I've discovered in, in all of the little hacks that I've adopted over the years is to tape my mouth shut at night and become an obligate nasal breather. Uh, transform me in so many ways. And that is the one thing since the book has been out that I've heard more than anything else. It, it can even decrease and for some people completely alleviate snoring and even mild or semi-moderate sleep apnea, just breathing through your nose. The mouth tape is something I've been teaching people for years. And oh, good. For, for <laughs> okay, some, so it doesn't seem wacky to you. No, no. and okay. I think I, I think it seems wacky to people if, when they first hear it, because they probably think like, oh, wow, you know, big piece of duct tape, like sealing your mouth shut. And all you're talking about is a tiny piece of tape on the lips just to trigger to the brain to keep the mouth closed and to breathe through the nose. And so I think that's also people visualize this, like you're taping someone's mouth shut like they're, you know, a hostage scenario. And it's like, no, 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 that's not the extent of what we're referring to. Uh, but I've seen it completely eliminate jaw clenching, teeth grinding, snoring, all sorts of things. And even with people that don't have those issues, I've seen it just really enhance their sleep quality, which was, you know, tracked using like an aura ring or a whoop uh, device to, to see ob objective shifts in their, in their sleep quality and their wake up frequency and all these different uh, parameters. I've seen it really help uh, just that simple trick of just putting a small piece of tape on the lips. I experienced that personally, and this was not a subtle 
increase in the quality of my sleep. It was dramatic. It was a complete shift. And I said, well, that's interesting. I wonder if this has ever happened with anybody else. And I've had the opportunity in the past year of receiving literally hundreds, probably thousands of letters from people. People have met me at conferences. A few have come up to me crying uh, because they've had kids who were on a cocktail of different drugs for years. They were wetting their beds. They had ADHD. They couldn't focus. Their health was deteriorating. No one knew what was wrong. They finally trained their kids to shut their mouths and the vast majority of those symptoms completely disappeared. I've had people with sleep apnea. I've had couples uh, who had to sleep in different rooms because uh, one of them would be snoring so much, come up and say, you know, this has completely saved my marriage. And for a lot of these people, they've celebrated it and they've been so happy to have discovered it. But a lot of them are also completely pissed off that no one had told them this free hack to do earlier and that they've been put through this gauntlet of other drugs and other devices and CPAP and all of these things uh, that not only didn't work very well, but had some pretty bad side effects. And so I'm not saying everyone should do this. What I'm saying is there's a choice for you it's not going to cost you any money. There are only benefits to be had through nasal breathing at night and in the daytime. Why don't you try it? You can try it if you want. I'm not going to make you do it, but know that there's a choice and know that there's very, a very firm foundation of science showing you that this can benefit you in a number of ways. I love how low the barrier of entry is too, because when you're talking about making changes, you know, to what someone's diet or, you know, a new exercise program, you know, a lot of the times there's a lot of variables that people need to buy something or go somewhere. And when you're talking about your breathing, it's, it's free. You could do it absolutely anywhere. And so there's really no excuses not to give it a try because it's something that you're going to do anyways. Why not try to do it correctly and see what type of benefits you experience. So that's something I encourage everyone to, to really explore, because like you said, there's nothing to lose and so much to gain. And on, on this topic, <clears throat> how have your explorations in, in breathing improved your own health? You mentioned a little bit about the mouth tape, but I'd like you to go in, you know, a little more depth of what you've experienced uh, on your own path. I try not to get into my personal story too much in my writing, mostly because I get really annoyed when authors include themselves too much in their books and that in the books becomes about them and not about the reader. I try to make my books about the reader and I'll pop up now and then to take the reader by the hand and say, this is my experience as a way of showing them how their bodies work and what they may be experiencing, which is exactly why I didn't write about what breathing specifically had done for me in, in my book, because I did not want to also said, hey, it worked for me, it's going to work for you. Um, so with that big, bold caveat, all in light, uh, it's completely transformed my health, the knowledge and the practice of breathing. I, a number of years ago, was getting pneumonia at least once a year. I was getting bronchitis all the time. And I was eating all the right foods and sleeping eight hours a night, exercising all the time. I was doing martial arts, I was surfing, I was jogging, all that stuff. 
but I kept getting respiratory problems. And I was told by every doctor I went to that this was perfectly normal to be given, you know, a Z-pack uh, at least once a year, <laughs> uh, antibiotics to fight off these things. They said, oh, just take, take these drugs and, you know, you'll be fine. Here's a bronchodilator when you can't breathe. I thought, okay, that's, that's cool. But in the back of my mind, I thought there must be a better way of doing this. And so it wasn't until years and years after that, when I started interviewing these respiratory therapists, these pulmon pulmonologists, I call them, pulmonologists, I mean, psychologists, that I started adopting these breathing habits into my own life because you can't see someone so utterly transformed by something so simple and not want to do it yourself. And so I did, I didn't write about it, but I did. And it, it massively changed my athletic performance, my sleep quality. I mean, across the board, uh, I have not had pneumonia or bronchitis or any respiratory issues since. It hasn't happened. I haven't had a stuffy nose. And I wanna be very clear to everyone. I'm not saying my experience is going to be your experience. I'm just talking about specifically what happened to me you know, results are going to vary for each person. But yeah, it, it completely changed my life in that regard. Incredible. And what, what would you advise mothers to be? What, what could they do to stimulate optimal facial bone growth in their infants? You know, to, if, if someone's planning to conceive or maybe they're pregnant now, have you learned any tips or strategies they can be mindful of to really set their child up for success when it comes to their breathing mechanics and their overall, uh, you know, facial structure? For sure. Follow nature. And I know that may seem a little wishy-washy, but it's really not, <laughs> you know, well, we, we've evolved in a certain way in a certain environment and we are now divorced from that environment and we are suffering from this disevolution, uh, which is why we're all, so many of us are becoming sick. So what did we do 400 years ago, 500 years ago? Well, kids were breastfed for two years, sometimes three years, sometimes up to four years. After they were breastfed for that long, they were weaned onto hard foods. Uh, they were not weaned onto Gerber's soft applesauce or soft carrots. They chewed actual food. And that chewing stress early on in life helps build bones, the proper musculature, and it widens the mouth. After that, to continue eating those hard natural foods in their original form is essential. If you're talking about kids in gestation, you know, we, we know that a mom's uh, vitamin levels can, can have a huge effect on this, D levels, K2 levels, uh, stress levels. There are links between a mom suffering from sleep apnea and growth issues with, with the fetus, because when you're starving a fetus of oxygen repeatedly for a third of your life, it's going to take a hit in development, right? That's not too much of a stretch. And there's also studies looking at kids who are breastfed versus those who are bottle fed. And those who are breastfed will have lower incidences of sleep apnea and, and breathing issues later on in life also. Pretty, pretty obvious. So 
I'm not, uh, I'm a dude for one. I'm not going to sit here and, and ridicule anyone for if they're not able to breastfeed, breastfeed a, a kid for a couple of years. I know the stresses of the modern world are a lot. What I'm trying to do is just give information of, of what we know has been shown to be successful for optimum airway health uh, later on in life. All great advice. And what kind of, uh, as, as we wrap up, James, a couple last questions for you. What were some of the most surprising things you learned in your study of breathing? I really think the most surprising thing and the thing that caused me to throw out six months of research into the wastebasket and start all over again was learning that evolution does not work in a straight line of progress. It was learning that evolution means change over time and life forms can change for the better or for worse in humans for the most part, for the last hundred years especially, have been adopting characteristics that are in no way advantageous for our long-term survival. This was all news to me because in college, I understood evolution as being survival of the fittest, right? We're, we're getting stronger and faster and better. And that's still what we've been told, that we're getting better with every generation. This is complete garbage. So to me, understanding that and understanding the core issues of why we've changed for the worse is essential to then providing ways to change optimally and reverse some of this damage and return ourselves to our natural states. Another thing that really blew my mind, this all got cut from the book, uh, might show up in another book, is that lifespan really hasn't changed in the past 2,000, 3,000 years, you know? And all you have to do is look at a bunch of famous philosophers. I was reading up on all these philosophers and they were all living into their 70s and 80s. I said, what is going on here? I was told that these people lived into their 30s. <laughs> False, not, not true. So I think that our understanding of what the modern world has done for us, and it's done so many incredible things, but it, that has also come at a price. And I hope in the future that we're able sort of have our cake and, and eat it too. And by that, that we can utilize modern technologies, but also not forget where we came from and that a natural path is often the best way and the most nourishing way to maintain health and, and help get health back if we happen to lose it. Incredible. You, you've covered some amazing strategies throughout this interview, James. And as, as we wrap up, I just wanted to um, kind of recap of what, you, what do you consider the most important basic steps that people can take to improve their health through breathing You know, today? Starting right away, what are kind of a few of the top things you want people to walk away from reading or listening to this and, and implement into their lives? Well, I wish that there was some magic uh, potion I could tell you about right now. And I wish this were complicated and very convoluted because that would make it sound even more impressive. <laughs> but nature is very simple yet subtle. And the simplest things I found are the most effective. So what I will be telling you now are completely simple things, but that doesn't mean they're not any less powerful. 
And this is how you should be breathing, everybody. You should be breathing most of your breaths through your nose. You should be breathing slowly, rhythmically, and deeply. Just doing that. So that took me, what, three seconds to give you that wisdom here. Just doing that can have a transformative effect on your health. And the reason is, is so few of us breathe this way. And once you do, the science is very, very clear. You can help bolster your immune function. You can help influence your autonomic nervous system to calm yourself down. You can reduce your blood pressure. You can reduce your heart rate. You can increase your focus and more. I know that seems like a big, long laundry list. All you have to do is to connect yourself to a number of wearables to look at your heart rate, look at your blood pressure, look at your HRV, see what happens after just a few minutes of breathing in this very light, smooth, rhythmic way. And then you can just imagine what will happen after a few months or a few years of breathing this way. I've seen what happens. It can really transform people's lives. Where can people go to learn more about your work, James, and purchase a copy of your book if they haven't already? What's the best place for people to kind of find more information of, of, about what you're up to? I am adamantly trying to redesign my website right now. So hopefully by the time everyone looks it up, uh, it should be much prettier than it is. And that website is mrmrjamesnester.com. I'm not trying to be cutesy with that MR there. It's some other jerk took jamesnester.com. So I had to mix it up. Uh, yeah. Also, I'm on this thing called Instagram, which for old people like me is a very scary world. Uh, but I'm just trying to post things that have to do with the science of breathing. So no, no pictures of puppies or, or what I'm eating on a certain day. Just I'm just trying to stick with, with the science there. And my handle on Instagram is Mr. James Nestor. Amazing. Well, thanks for your time today, James. This has been an amazing interview and a lot of great tangible takeaways for people to start making positive changes to their life. Thanks very much, Ryan. Thanks for listening in. You can find the show notes and resources at briankennedyshow.com. I encourage you to share your biggest takeaway with me on social media. Tag me on Instagram at Ryan C. Kennedy and share the show with your friends and family. If you found this episode valuable, please leave us a five-star review. Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as I can with this information. Join me for my next episode where I'll be interviewing leading wellness professionals to empower you in your health journey. Until next time.